Good morning, Journey Church and beyond, well beyond. Uh, we're glad you're with us, whether you're on live stream, Facebook, wherever you are, be, uh, are. and if you're in person, that's even better because I get to see uh, you guys and uh, interact with you a little bit. You know, a few weeks ago, um, we were kind of talking about sermon planning and one sermon series ending, and by the way, starting next week, we're going to begin a study on the book of Philippians called Joy to the World. Start Christmas a little early, right? Uh, that'd, be, that'd be great. Uh, it's amazing how the theme of Philippians is about joy, and we could use a little joy about now, right? Um, so anyway, so I told the staff, I said, you know, I'm thinking about a, a sermon on uh, the Sunday before Election Day, and I'm thinking I call it Decision 2020. And they're like, oh, no, that's a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea. You know, why not exploit what everybody's talking and thinking about uh, for the gospel, right, uh, in, a, in a really good way? And I said, I'm not talking about politics at all. Uh, I'm going to talk about the greatest decision that you'll ever make, and that is about Jesus Christ. So that's what it's all about today. But you know what? This is a big week, right? Decisions, decisions. Some of you have had your mind made up for months or years, and others uh, others are still trying to decide. You may be on the fence, but, but you know, for the last few, uh, three weeks in Kentucky anyway, Americans have been standing in line to make a big decision. On Tuesday, millions more are going to make that decision all over the country. And you know, uh, whatever you decide, it is a decision, right? And in fact, everyone will make a decision whether you decide not to decide. Uh, that is a decision in some ways, right? But you know, when it comes down to it, decisions sometimes are really difficult to make. They're really hard. Uh, somebody said that the road of life is paved with squirrels who could not make a decision. You know, I love that, right? Don't you? You know, you come up and you see the little guy and you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. You know, he's in the road and you see terror in his eyes and even at that distance and you're like, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, either way would be great. It doesn't matter which side you end up on. Just go somewhere. And then it's, you know, suddenly in all that time, it's too late. I don't have to tell you what happens there, Right. But you know what? It really is true. I like thinking about that because making a decision is a hard thing to do. It really is. Some decisions are more difficult than others. And making a decision, though, has so much power in your life. For a lot of people in life, they just seem stuck in place. And in many cases, it's because they just can't make a decision, right? I was reading the other day about a guy named Jack Canfield who's a success coach. And he says that making decisions is what leads to success and that indecision is actually the enemy of success. And, you know, we make decisions every day, right? Small decisions, will I turn here? Will I go to the next road? You know, those things don't really matter. Many of them are small and insignificant. Some of them are huge, though. Some are big decisions and, in fact, will determine the trajectory of your life. Where you go next, where you end up, will be determined by decisions that you make today. Some of them are very, very important. Successful people are willing to make decisions even if they are initially wrong, you know, not making a decision is a decision, always the wrong one. Again, think about the squirrel. Never making a decision is not going to be a good day for him. So the inability to make a decision will leave you frozen in place so that you have to push past your doubt and your fear of decision-making. Canfield offers this advice about making decisions. He said, get all the information that you need and then decide quickly. Ask yourself, is this something that I want or need? Is this something that I can commit to? And then when you make the decision, the confidence that you may be missing will follow after that. And then once you make a decision, fully commit to that decision, start following through. Do five things a day that will move you closer to that goal that you decided for. Get an accountability partner that will help keep you on track. 
and revisit and revisualize your goal daily. Now, that's just great advice. So if you're stuck right now about life choice, about any, any issue, you might think about how to make decisions like that. And that's great decision for every issue of life. But let me tell you about today, we're going to talk about the most important decision that you will ever make. And that is, what will I do with Jesus? Not just today, but for the rest of my life. And we're going to give you the information that you need, which you need to collect data and information before you make a decision. We're going to give you the information and then challenge you to make the decision, make it quickly, the confidence that you long or maybe have right, do not have right now will come once you make that decision for Christ. Now, I realize that this may not be the burning question on every person's heart. It may not be the greatest decision that the world thinks we have today, but it should be. It really should be. Because when all the politics are gone, when all of our possessions are gone, when all of money, when all of school, when sports, everything else that seems so important today, when all those things are gone, Jesus will be the only thing that matters. And the decision that we make for Christ will be the only decision that will ever count. So I want you to think about that because this life is not going to be forever. This world is not forever. The decision you make for Christ is the greatest and most important that you will ever make. Now, I love how Jesus talked about that, and I love some of the personal analogies and the word pictures that Jesus used. We're going to be looking at a couple of those today because Jesus used several analogies to discuss or illustrate this illustration in, in his Gospels. And none is more graphic than the one we see in Matthew chapter 7. I've always loved this imagery that Jesus had. Now, Matthew chapter 7 is part of the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus kind of wrapping up this message that he'd given to them. He's been talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. And he clearly states that a follower of Christ means that we have to make a decision that, we will, that will separate us from the rest of the world. Because most of the world, I hope you know, is not following Jesus. But here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. You know, I love that passage because I'm kind of infatuated with the whole idea of life being a journey. In fact, a few years ago, we decided to change the name of our church. Uh, it was kind of long and unwieldy and confusing. I said, let's make it Journey Church. Let's just be clear that life is a journey. That's what we're here. Life is a journey. It has a clear beginning, and it also has a clear end, which is what most journeys are like. And you know what? It's how we live our life here during this time that really matters, and the decisions that we make in the course of our life that are going to determine where we end up. That's pretty simple. It's pretty obvious, right? So Jesus said in the Scripture that, there, that life is a journey, and there are choices, two options that people have. There are two gates, there are two roads, there are two destinies, and there are two groups of people. And he says, first of all, that one of the gate is, gates is wide, so wide that everybody enters it originally. This is the path of life, if you will. Everybody's on the wide path, and it leads to this wide road that goes to destruction, Jesus said. But it's interesting how he describes that road. He says that road is easy to navigate. That road doesn't really take any effort, and everybody seems to be on it because everybody is. If you want to join the crowd, just get on this road because that's where everybody's going, right? 
In fact, this wide road accommodates everything and anything that we want in life. We can do anything, be anything that we want, live any way that we want to. It accommodates all of our baggage, all of our possessions, everything else. And again, there are lots of people on the road because it's so wide. But it's not crowded. It's not crowded because it's so accommodating. And again, this is the natural state of mankind. Every one of us are on the wide road to begin with. But here's the problem. Jesus said it leads to destruction. It leads to hell. So the course of all mankind without a decision is going to lead to hell and destruction. That's what Jesus said. But he said, on the other hand, there is another gate, and this gate is narrow, and it leads to a road that is narrow and a road that is difficult to travel. In other words, we're getting off the interstate, and we're getting onto a little country road, maybe gravel, maybe dirt. It's going to be a little more difficult to find and a little more difficult and challenging to travel. But here's the thing. This road leads to a better place. It will lead to eternal life. Now, here's the thing. You won't find it by following the crowd. It is basically a detour that you intentionally choose. It doesn't seem to make sense to a lot of people why you would take this narrow gate and this small road to go somewhere that everybody else is not going. Unfortunately, Jesus said that few will ever find or choose it. You will not be following the crowd. You know, when I was in high school, which granted is several years ago, um, but I had a teacher there, his name, uh, his name was Richard Downs, and Richard Downs was our typing teacher. Now, I was in a small school. I had 78 students in my graduating class, so it was a small school in Spencer County, and uh, there was one typing class. So if you were going to take typing, it was going to be this guy. Now, typing in that day was not keyboarding. It wasn't computer. It was typing because we had a machine, and, and it was still manual, so you typed, and then you slung the carriage, and you typed some more. And I know it doesn't make sense, but that's how it used to be done, youngins, uh, back in the day. And uh, so, so we would go in, and we would start typing. Now, Mr. Downs was the hardest teacher in the school. I mean, he, had a, he loved his reputation. He was, he was a difficult guy. There's just no doubt about it. Uh, he was not really a nice guy most of the time. He was really tough, and nobody wanted to take him, but if you, had to take, if you wanted to take typing, you had to. You know, so it was the only way through. So I, I, I took typing. And so we, we would go in every day. We would start typing. Uh, the, the rule was when the bell rang, you start typing. And you keep typing until he tells you to stop. And uh, so sometime it would be like a couple minutes. And he'd come in and we'd get, get rolling. Sometimes he never wouldn't come in. Sometimes he would come in and never say a word. And so we would type solid for an hour. You know, just keep typing, just keep on typing. I didn't even know what to type. Just type something the whole time. Just keep on typing. And, uh, but, but when he did stop us, he sometimes would instruct us in typing, but he oftentimes would instruct us in life. And he had a soapbox that he climbed on almost every time he talked about it. And the soapbox was, don't be like everybody else. And he just drove that point home. And I won't tell you how he did it because he, he, was, he was very crude in the way he did it. Uh, but that was his point. Don't be like everybody else in the world. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I lived. I survived that class. I didn't type for probably 20 years after that uh, to, to recover. But then computers came along and suddenly I started typing again. Uh, and maybe I owe some of it to him. I don't know. But, but I do remember one thing, that, that you don't need to be like everybody else. It's the biggest challenge that we try to teach our kids, peer pressure. 
You don't have to be like everybody else. You don't want to be. Everybody else is usually wrong, right? The majority is usually wrong, so try to be different, be unique. It takes no effort. It takes no intention to travel the broad road, but it takes an intentional decision to enter the narrow gate. And here's what Jesus is saying here, honestly, is that most people are on the road to destruction. And today, seemingly, most people have that teaching backward. Because basically, people would say that many are traveling, uh, Jesus is saying that many are traveling the wide road to destruction, and few will change it. But today, many claim that most people are going to go to heaven, and few are going to go to hell. And you probably know who those people are. Hitler would be at the top of the list, so the ones would be in hell, right? But in most people's mind, it's a very small list of people who will go to hell. Almost everybody's going to heaven. Jesus said, that's not true. It's the opposite, it really is the opposite, and that's hard for us to accept. But understand that Jesus is what's saying here, contrary to many what many believe, most people will not be saved because they're on the wide path. In fact, it's interesting, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus, uh, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter the narrow gate because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know, who, who, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, well, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. You know, I believe what he's talking about here is when the door of opportunity closes, when no more decisions, when the earth is over with. Now, certainly, we live in the day of opportunity, right? When the door is still open, he says, come unto me, all you who are weary, come to me. He's inviting us to come, so the opportunity is right now. But one day, there will be a time. And many people who think they will be saved will not be saved. They'll be blown away. Jesus will say, I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. I, I invited you, but you never responded. You never came in when I, when I invited you. And now, unfortunately, you got to go, go away from me. And it says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't use language like that, but what it means is there'll be regret and even horror to say, what? I, I don't understand. So Jesus says, now make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. See the narrow gate. Enter through. The word effort is kind of interesting. It means to contend. It means to struggle an all-out effort like an athlete puts forth when they leave everything on the field. They give all they have in the competition. Now, now does that imply that, wait a minute, okay, I'm, <laughs> my goodness or my works are going to save me? I've got to, my effort's going to do it? No, absolutely not. The Bible is very clear in Ephesians 2 that says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, it's not our works that's going to save us. Nothing we could ever do would be good enough. But it's our decision, and it's living out that decision through our lifetime that saves us. It is Jesus who saves us. We put our faith and trust in Him. It is walking the straight and narrow, not just in our actions, not just in what we do, but in faith and relationship with Jesus. It's how we walk our life, how we live our life. Listen to Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, the wide path, or stand in the way that sinners take, or in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whether they, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see the psalmist David shares a clear contrast between those who choose the road to life over the road to destruction. You know, decisions are really all about looking to see what is best, not just for the moment, but down the road. We try to teach our kids to make wise decisions, not just, you know, maybe sacrificing the moment, but saying, there's something better if you will do this, if you will make a better decision for tomorrow, but make it today. Make it today. You know, that leads us to some conclusions about decisions in life. Here's the first one. I think it's natural. A decision for Christ must be intentional. It has to be intentional. Clearly, all roads do not lead to the same place. Have you ever heard anybody say that? People try to put you off when you talk about your faith. Well, you know, all, it doesn't matter what you believe. All roads lead to God. That is not true. That's not true in any way of life. I have been lost many times because the road I was on did not take me where I wanted to go. That's just foolish. Don't try to believe that. Don't let anybody tell you that. All roads don't lead to the same place. All roads do not lead to God because God has chosen only one road for us, only one way, and that's for us to come to Him through Jesus Christ, His only Son. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus said later in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do not be deceived in thinking that the road that you're on is the right road unless you have intentionally and deliberately, specifically made a decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. Do not think you're going to get there by accident or by following the crowd or being swept in. Don't think, you know, because I grew up in a Christian family, I'm going to go to be with the Lord, you know, that I'm on the path. Don't think that because I go to church every Sunday with a lot of other believers that I'm automatically going to be there because it requires an intentional decision for Christ. Jesus said the narrow gate is not easy to find or enter in, and only a relative few will make it. Only a few will get there. And those who do will intentionally and knowingly make that decision, not by accident. Here's the second thing I think is clear, is that no decision is a decision. No decision is a decision. You know, a lot of people just don't like to decide. There are a lot of people, I think, who believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is real. You know, a lot of people, when I, statistics are high, 80 85%, I forget what it is now, that believe that God exists, that Jesus is real. But many of those people have never made a decision. They're locked in indecision because of what it might mean if they made a decision. And remember that Jesus said many will think they should be led into heaven, but they won't be. There'll be plenty of good moral people out there who will be lost because they never chose, they never decided to give their life to Christ. They never made the decision to enter the narrow gate. They thought about it. They might have wanted to. They maybe intended to at some life, at some point in life, at a better time, but they never made a decision to enter that gate that leads to life. And then Jesus does say there'll come a time finally when the gate will be closed. It'll be shut, and it'll be too late to go in. You know, I think today a lot of people get really close 
to giving their life to Christ, but never do. Never do. You know, one of the things that I hate about this virus, there's a lot I hate about it, but one of the things was, is that we always have a big, a big day at Easter where we call a decision Sunday, a baptism Sunday, and we encourage people and challenge people because a lot of people need a deadline, they need a, day, a date to drive a stake in the ground, say, I'm going to do it then. And we say, this is a great day to do it. Day Jesus came to life, your new life begins. We had people lined up to do that, and then we didn't meet. It was all online. And I told Lori last night, I said, you know what, Satan is just, he is having a ball out of this because this has put off so many people decision for Christ that will never give their life to Jesus. And this has distracted so many people. I'm not saying it's not serious, it is, but it's distracted so many people that will, will die without Jesus. It, it has sidelined the church in so many ways that has handicapped us from being able to fulfill the mission. And so many people I know who have a decision, not just those who planned at Easter, but many people will be distracted and will go into eternity without Jesus Christ. And let me just say this, that not making that decision will be an eternal regret. I really believe that in hell there will be people who will recall decision points that they could have given their life to Christ on this earth, but did not do it. No decision is a decision. It's a decision to reject the offer that he's given to us. Here's the third thing that's clear to me is that a decision that we're called to make is clearly to follow Jesus. Let's not get confused what the decision is all about. In John chapter 10, Jesus is giving another analogy here. And this one is about the sheep pen. He said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So this is all about sheep. He used a lot of different analogies here. The one was the road. This is about sheep. Jesus said, again, he's the only way in. Not only is Jesus the gate, he's the door, he's the path, he's the road, he's the way, he's the truth and the life, everything. Jesus is everything. But he is the only one, only one. And without him, there is no life, there is no hope, and there is no salvation. Now, I want to just challenge you. I want to present the gospel, obviously, but, but how do we respond when we decide to follow Jesus? What does that entail? How do you know? Maybe there's confusion about making a literal decision to follow Jesus. How do we know? What is a part of that? Well, first of all, we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only Son of God. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to know everything in the Bible. You don't have to understand everything in the Bible. In the Bible, when Jesus was presented, they didn't, he didn't give them the whole background of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and, and all the, the gospel. He just told them about Jesus, about his, the way to salvation. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then you learn going forward. Secondly, you have to be willing to repent of your sin. When you come to know who Jesus is, you come to see the imperfection of your own life and your own failures. You're, the light reveals the darkness in us. And we have to believe strongly enough that Jesus is the Son of God and that He can save us and that we need to change. So we need to repent of our past, acknowledge that we are sinners and that we are lost without the saving power of Jesus Christ. We have to acknowledge that we're on the wrong road and we repent. You know, the word repent means to turn around. So in our first analogy, it means to get off the wide road, turn around and get on the narrow road. 
It means to change direction in your life and choose to enter the narrow gate that leads to eternal life in Christ. It means also that we confess, that we verbally state that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. People mess up the idea of confess, not that you have to tell somebody every sin you ever did. That's not, you tell that to God and He forgives you. You confess who Jesus is. You acknowledge who He is. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So that's a pretty good trait, to be honest with you. And so we want to confess who Jesus is. Verbally do that. And then he tells us we are to be baptized. To be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, baptism is beautiful. Jesus modeled baptism, uh, not for the same reason. He had no sin, but he modeled that for us. Baptism is symbolic of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And a little bit later in our service, you're going to see a baptism of someone who dies to self, is buried with Christ, and raised again. That's the beauty of baptism. And if you have not done that, then you need to decide today to do so. And here's a great thing, guys. We are prepared for that. We are prepared for that. In the Bible, when people heard the gospel and decided to follow Jesus, they were baptized that same day, that very hour, it says, immediately. And we're ready to do that. And so we're going to offer you the opportunity if you have never been baptized. Maybe you gave your life to Christ at some point, but you've never been obedient in baptism. We're going to get do that. We're willing to do that this morning. We have towels. We have clothes. We have everything you need to be able to do that because we want this to be your day of decision. And then once you've decided and acted, stay the course. Stay the course. You know, many people have made decisions in the past to follow Christ that they have since neglected to follow through with. A lot of people have chose to, to do that, but then they end up getting back on the road again because there are exit places in our life. There are times that we exit the narrow road, actually, and we choose to swing back to the wide road again. Once you made a decision, follow through. Maybe that's you in your life. Maybe that's you. Jesus said this, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Looking back and falling back is worse than never starting. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about a vow that people make and we said it's better never to make a vow than it is to make a vow and break it. The vow that we make to follow Christ is a vow, a commitment that we need to keep and hold on to. And Jesus said, if you turn and look back, you're going to get off course. You know, I always think about this because in my earlier life, when I was, I was raised on a farm, and, uh, and sometime we would start plowing a field. And when you plow, even with a tractor, I don't know about horses, that was before my day, but with a tractor anyway... You pick out of something in the middle of the field. The best thing is to divide the field in half, and you start in the middle. And you pick that point out, and you go straight to it. If you turn around and see how you've done, you, you just got off course. I don't care how hard you try. You just got off course. And when you look back, you'll see a crook in your furrow, right? Some of you know that. That's what Jesus says. When you turn around and look back, you're off course. Do not look back. Do not fall back. Do not, do not long for the past. There's no looking back when it comes to your decision to follow Christ. And maybe that is you. Maybe you're here today or you're listening online and you gave your life to Christ at one point, but you have to admit that you've really gotten off course in the past, that, that you're back on the wide road what you, where you left and you didn't intend to be, but now you need to recommit, to refocus, to reenter the narrow gate and get back on the narrow road. And I want to tell you, thankfully, it's not too late to do that. The gate is still open. The invitation is still there, and he's inviting us to come back to him or come to him. 
You know, it's amazing. The wide road promises everything you want in life, everything you want, but it doesn't deliver. It's easier to follow. It's a default that everyone takes. It takes no effort. And so easily we can get swept up in this world around us. But again, it leads to death and destruction. And Jesus offers us a different way, the narrow road that he walked for us. It's not like it's uncharted. Jesus founded the road. He, he discovered it. He, he charted it for us. And he made it available to us. In fact, he has paved it for us to come. And that road sometimes is difficult to walk. It's demanding at times. It takes some effort. It takes a commitment to do that. But here's the great thing. You don't have to walk it alone. That Jesus will walk with you side by side. In fact, he will carry your burden for you. Just lay it on him. Lay all of your burdens and anxiety of life, the things you weren't doing so great with anyway, lay them on him. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. You take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, let's walk together, and I'll, I'll carry you where you're struggling. I'll, we'll get you there together. You know, the Bible says that today is a day of decision. Remembering our success coach earlier, get all the information that you need. I've tried to give you that, all you need to accept Christ. All you need to know, even if you've never heard of Jesus before, you've heard enough this morning to know that He is the Christ, the Son of God. Know that He is perfect, that He invites you to come to Him. Second element, is it something you need? Yes. Is it something worth committed to? Yes. And He said, decide quickly, because the longer you put a decision off, the less likely you are to make it. You ever think about that? The longer you put a decision off, even if you know you should, the less likely you are to make it. If you have doubts, make the decision you know you should make. Confidence will follow that. And you'll realize it was the best thing you ever did. When you decide, fully commit. Live out your decision daily. Get accountability. Other people who are on the journey alongside of you. And that's the body of Christ. The fellowship of believers. And here's the thing. Come just as you are. Just like you are. You know, I, I've talked to people who say, you know, one day I'm going to give my life to Christ. When I, get, when I get rid of this habit, when I do this, when I get that, it's never going to happen, guys. You know, it's never going to happen. Come as you are. And that's our invitation to you today, whoever you may be, whatever your decision may be, to give your life to Christ, to follow up on a decision that you may, you've made in the past to be baptized. Maybe it's to come back to the Lord, someone to pray with you. Uh, we're going to invite you to come up, and, and here's how we're going to do it. It's a little bit awkward sometimes with just the flow of our service, but, but I'm going to ask Tony, if he would, to shit, come up in just a few moments after our prayer uh, of, uh, this, of decision, and then we're going to go into uh, our communion time, but Tony's going to be available over here for anyone who want to talk to him at that point, and we're going to go through our communion, and then I'll step over to the other side, and we're going to be up here for the remainder of the service, for you to come. Now, I know it's awkward sometimes, and it's hard for people to come forward, but let me just say, most people in the room have given their life to Christ. They've done this at some point. It's the most natural, compelling thing in the world to respond to a, an, an, an invitation, to make a decision. The first step is always the hardest, but it's the rewarding one when you say, yes, I'm, I'm following through. I'm doing that.
If you're at home this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit can work on our heart no matter where we are. If you're at home and you believe that, that God is calling you and you need to respond, I want to encourage you to, to contact me. To contact me, you can do it online. You can call. Like my number's on the website. Uh, you can do it through Facebook. There's any number of ways to do that. But contact me. You need to follow up if you're making a decision for Christ. In the Bible, when someone gave their life to Christ, it was always in the presence of another person who would hear their confession and who would baptize them. And so it's not just enough to say, oh, I, you know, I believe I'm good at home. No, you need to follow up with a confession and, and to be baptized. So that's our decision challenge for you this morning, our invitation. And we're going to be available if you want to come and to share with us. We are going to be having a baptism, so you will not be the only person who has been baptized this morning for sure if you know you need to be baptized, and we are prepared to do that. So I'm going to ask if you would just to bow with me. Heavenly Father, Father, we come today, and Lord, we are faced with the biggest decision of our life, hands down. And it has nothing to do with how we vote or, or what we choose to do with the rest of our life and career or who we're going to marry or anything else. It comes down to what are we going to do with Jesus? Because God, when all those other things are gone and we stand alone in your presence, the only thing that will matter is what do we do with Jesus? What road did we walk? And it will determine what destination we will experience, heaven or hell. Father, it's that big a decision for us. You know that. Lord, I know that there are those here this morning who need to make decisions for Christ. For some, maybe it's something they put off a long time, maybe half their life. Father, today you call. Whoever will, come. Today is the day of decision. Father, help us to overcome all of our natural fears, all of our struggles, to decide to answer your call. And Lord, if there are those here that once made a decision but are totally off course, God, give them the courage to step out and say, I'm, I'm coming back, I'm coming home. And to make that commitment firm just by sharing that with someone else before you. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We call for people to respond to your invitation. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.